The Dark Way to the Tree. As I was pondering on this podcast, which I called The Dark Way to the Tree, several thoughts came to me concerning the things we take into our inner world. Have you ever been reading and found yourself so immersed and carried away by the beauty of what you're reading that you are almost in tears and you're breathless? Time seems to fade into the background and you find yourself in tears just because of the beauty of what you're reading. I am the first to admit that I am kind of an egghead. I love intellectual things that stretch me and make me think deeply. The great bonus is when I find someone who writes something like this and gives it a gospel perspective. The article that I was reading that led to all this is an article in a book called By Study and Also by Faith, published by Farms, F-A-R-M-S. These are scholarly articles published in honor of Hugh Nibley. The one that grabbed me was called A Second Witness for the Logos, the Book of Mormon, and Contemporary Literary Criticism. I always look for primary sources in articles like this, and by looking for these, I found René Girard. His writing is so incredible that before I start on the tree, I would like to share some of his concepts. He is one of those guys that besides his writings, you find dozens of books explaining what the heck he's talking about. He's another major egghead, and I think that the Lord helped me to find him. Gerard was reading a lot of literature, and he came across the writings of five novelists who, taken together, literally changed his world. They are Cervantes, Flaubert, Stendhal, Proust, and Dostoevsky. To varying degrees, the life and work of each of these authors displayed a similar pattern. Each author underwent a conversion experience which liberated him to go on and write his most important works. This conversion is more explicitly Christian in some cases, for example, Dostoevsky, than in others, Proust or Stendhal. The five novelists whom Girard considers in this book dealt with something that he calls the collapse of the autonomous self. This literary study was accompanied by a collapse of an immediate kind for Girard himself or at least a profound shake-up of his beliefs and values. In an interview, he tells how he approached this study in the pure demystification mode, cynical, destructive, very much in the spirit of the atheist intellectuals of the time. Such an attitude of debunking, however, can eventually turn back on itself if all one finds in other people is inauthenticity and bad faith something very like the religious concept of original sin. I call it coming to a full view of the natural man will emerge into view. An experience of demystification, if radical enough, 
is very close to an experience of conversion. As he was writing the last chapter of his book called Deceit, Desire, and the Novel, he realized that he was undergoing his own version of the experience he was describing. This caused him to return to reading the Gospels and to acknowledge that he had now become a Christian. I think that this concept of the collapse of the autonomous self is such a great euphemism for conversion or a profound spiritual rebirth. Think of what happened to Alma the Younger, the sons of Mosiah, and the Apostle Paul. Talk about the complete collapse of the autonomous self. I think that in some of the most profound of these collapses, one of the most profound of these collapses are described in the Book of Mormon when talking about the conversion of the Lamanites, the people that buried their weapons of war. I think that we're fortunate to be blessed with this great book in which you can find almost anything if you look deeply. I feel that the conversion of Lamoni, initiated by Ammon, gives a mechanism that describes what happens in the collapse of the autonomous self. Remember that after Ammon preached the gospel to him, that he collapsed into unconsciousness. While others were concerned, Ammon's thoughts about this event are given in the Book of Mormon. Now this was what Ammon desired, for he knew that King Lamoni was under the power of God. He knew that the dark veil of unbelief was being cast away from his mind, and the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. Yea, this light had infused such joy into his soul, the cloud of darkness having been dispelled, and that the light of everlasting life was lit up in his soul. Yes, he knew that this had overcome his natural frame, and he was carried away in God. Talk about the collapse of the autonomous self. Unfortunately, most of us have to go through a long process that leads to this collapse or complete conversion rather than it happening in a single event. The main thing is to continue on and while we're at it, to enjoy the trip. This leads to the article that I was describing earlier. The comments above placing it in a context that is very cogent to the comments below. Below are some of the notes that I took while reading. I hope that you find them intriguing. I call them Notes on a Second Witness for the Lagos, the Book of Mormon and Contemporary Literary Criticism by Eugene England, Brigham Young University. This article focuses on internal evidence provided by the Book of Mormon itself. Stimulated by such Mormon scholars as John Welch, Noel Reynolds, and Bruce Jorgensen, the paper examines techniques developed by non-Mormon literary critics Northrop Fry and Rene Girard. Fry analyzes the Bible's unique typological literary structure 
and its kinds of qualities of language. Girard examines its uniquely revealing and healing response to human violence. By examining the Bible's uniquely revealing and healing response to human violence, both have conditioned and concluded that the Bible has literary qualities superior to other books, but is also uniquely divine. England agrees with this assessment of the Bible, but declares that that uniqueness is not the Bible's alone, but that the Book of Mormon attains similar qualities of form and content, and thus not only stands as a second witness of Christ, but also as a witness of the Logos, the Word. While on tour in France with BYU students, England had the opportunity to listen to Malcolm Miller read the windows of the Chartres Cathedral. For 40 years, he has been learning to read the book miraculously preserved in the stained glass windows of one and only one of the medieval cathedrals. In an hour and a half, he could only open the first few pages of the book, but it was an incredible experience. Along with the obsession with order or patterns, types, parallels, prophecies, and fulfillments in literal but meaningfully similar structures, giving a shock of recognition to careful readers of the Book of Mormon was a deep green cross for Christ based on the medieval legend that the tree he was hung upon was made from Eden's tree of life. The Book of Mormon? Yes, because that most typologically structured book, the only one that uses biblical patterns with even greater frequency and consistency and ultimate significance than the Bible has as its central pattern, what Bruce Jorgensen has called the dark way to the tree. This is an archetypal journey to a tree which is multiple in form. With that image, the Book of Mormon unites to create greater understanding and power, four patterns of the human pilgrimage. One, Adam and Eve as every man and every woman find their dark but necessary way to the tree of life through partaking of the tree of knowledge. Two, Christ provides the essential means for all men and women, from Adam and Eve onward, to make that dark journey. By personally taking his life's journey and ending it upon a tree, death on a cross that makes possible eternal life. Three, Lehi's dream of personal search establishes the pattern in our souls through the powerful patterning drama of the journey through darkness to partake of the fruit of a tree that represents God's love through Christ. This dream begins the Book of Mormon narrative and, as Jorgensen has shown, transforms the type for its main stories. For instance, the conversions of Enos and Alma the Younger 
are told in ways that highlight their similarities to Lehi's dream pilgrimage. And even the overall structure of the book appears to be shaped as a version of such a journey for humankind. This typological structuring invites us all to participate in an individual journey of salvation, even as God is leading the whole earth and human history through such a journey in order to make our own journeys possible. 4. Alma gives universal intellectual power to the pattern with his supplication and explication uniquely appropriate for modern science-oriented skeptics of the central crux of the pilgrimage, how to know the truth and act upon it, which is best symbolized as planting a seed, growing a tree, and partaking of the fruit. Patterns in the process of patterning are clearly central to both the Book of Mormon and the Bible. They seem to be central to basic human interests and needs, but mere pattern is not enough. We seem to yearn not only for patterns, but for patterns which are meaningful and saving. Lehi called these things to act, living agents, mortals, and gods, rather than things to be acted upon. Patterns obsess us because they emphasize what is most fundamental in the universe, what is repeated, necessary, irresistible, final. I know that these things are profound and require a lot of thought. Please think about them and see where you are in this great journey that leads to the collapse of the autonomous self, the dark way to the tree that leads to salvation and light. <laughs>